0: Hello and welcome back to the NovPods. I'm Owen Dorr, I'm an anaesthetic registrar in Thames Valley. With me, as always, is my partner in soda lime, Duncan Kemp, and today we are tackling recovery and this will include the perioperative journey around recovery, so preparing your patient for recovery, and then thinking about some of those bleeps you might get afterwards with some troubleshooting that you can do. Before Duncan and I get stuck into the topic, we'll have some different reflections from some of my colleagues on what recovery means to them. As always, there's some links in the bio for you to check out. Enjoy. Give me 10 seconds on what the definition of recovery is. Area of theatres that you go to after your operation as you come around from the anaesthetic. Safe immediate post-op care and planning of
1: the further perioperative period. To look after post-operative patients to make sure they are safe enough to go back to the ward.
0: Where the excellent staff look after the patient during emergence. It's a very, very important place. we put a lot of trust in the staff there and they're very good. What are three ways that you can annoy a recovery nurse? Be unavailable, don't listen and not prescribe everything.
1: Starting handing over the patient before even patient reaches to the monitor or designated bay. Not connecting the monitors, that annoys me. Bringing the last patient from theatre. And they are in a hurry to go home. Not staying, yeah, not staying in enough.
0: Or three things to do to make sure you don't annoy recovery staff. Make sure there's a decent analgesic plan, make sure you could be contacted and make sure there's no propofol left in the cannula.
1: You're a novice in these tests what do we mean by recovery?
0: Essentially it's a place that people come where they get over or recover from your anaesthetic. There is a one-to-one usually nursing ratio. It's where people can be monitored for anaesthetic and surgical complications and also the change in physiology they get with their comorbidities. It's a place where you can improve patient safety
1: The important part for a novice to think about recovery is it's almost like a high dependency setting for the immediate hour or so after a surgery with specifically trained recovery nurses in order to look out for, like you said, the anaesthetic and surgical complications that can happen in the immediate or short term. What is the role of a recovery nurse?
0: On the face of it, it's one sentence they recover a patient from anaesthetic, but the reality is that they are able to recognize a deteriorating patient they're able to see that final landing zone off from your anesthetic and make sure the patient is safe and they're also able to treat pain and nausea and then know when to escalate for help
1: If you just think about what recovery nurses have to do on a day-to-day basis
0: they have to come in
1: they check all the equipment in recovery whether that's emergency trolleys drugs things like that they then have to admit and discharge anywhere between three and 12 patients in a day with all different forms of comorbidities, things given in the anaesthetic. They're getting two handovers per patient from the anaesthetist and the scrub team and then they then have to formulate a handover themselves to the ward team after making sure the patient's pain is controlled, nausea and vomiting is controlled and they're tolerating oral intake and their conscious level and hemodynamics are stable.
0: Yeah, That's a hell of a lot to do. They really help on the patient's journey. As a novice, you might witness a patient going into recovery and feel it's like someone going through a Formula 1 pit crew change. What should they focus on as a novice, Duncan, and what can they do to improve that patient's journey through recovery?
1: I remember the first time going to recovery as a novice, and it is overwhelming. There's a lot of people doing a lot of things all at once, asking a lot of questions, a lot of things are being said, There's all the noises from the rest of the recovery bay, the alarms, the patients throwing up, patients in pain. The best way to break it down as a novice is think about the pre-recovery phase, getting into recovery and in recovery, and then start to think ahead to the post-recovery when that patient's going to the ward. Because that's going to be the stuff that saves you a headache later in the day or when you're on call.
0: And also improves the patient experience, which is what we're all looking for.
1: Yes, absolutely. That's obviously the number one priority, not avoiding bleeps in the middle of the night. Yeah. Pre-recovery phase, biggest question you need to ask yourself is, is my patient ready and safe to go to recovery?
0: That's interesting. What does that mean, Duncan?
1: It's best to do an A, B, C, D, E. Is the A and B part correct and working well? Particularly if you've just taken an airway out, you want to make sure your patient's ventilating, not just when you've popped the anaesthetic mask back on, but when you switch them over to a simple face mask, you want to make sure that they're still ventilating appropriately and they're oxygenating appropriately. And that
0: the oxygen is switched on on and that. The face oxygen
1: is m- switched on. Very, yeah. very
0: important. On that C is hemodynamic stability. Mm. You don't want to be thinking, does this patient need mesaraminol infusion when you're round in recovery? You'll want to have thought, okay, is actually recovery the best place if we are still on metaraminol? where are we going from here? Do they need an intensive care review? So that pre-thought can go in before you arrive in recovery.
1: And then moving on to D as well, there can be a little bit of an excitation phenomenon on wake up with certain patient groups. can be hard to predict, but having that happen in the theatre with a theatre team around you in a place of safety where if you absolutely need to regain control, you can give something with assistance. That's better to happen in theatre than halfway down a corridor
0: The other thing to mention is part of the decision of when you go to recovery is the organisation of ringing in recovery and seeing they've got space.
1: On that note, because it's something that burns me time and time again, when the question is asked, has anyone phoned recovery, make sure someone has taken responsibility for that and has responded to you. Give a closed loop communication.
0: Why shouldn't we take a patient with an entry to keel tube into recovery? Why would that annoy the recovery nurse, I think? I think it would
1: probably have you barred from recovery. Yeah, it would have you barred. As we mentioned before in the Airways and Extubation podcast episode, the DAS guidelines about extubation and risk assessing, but also the NAP4 study showed that extubation has a significant risk to causing airway emergencies. Having that happen, one, in a recovery area where there's no anaesthetic machine and your best rescue is a bag valve mask or a water circuit. Two, having it potentially happen down a corridor where there's nothing else to help you is a recipe for bad stuff happening. Yeah. You're going to have a bad time. Airway needs to be properly sorted out before you transfer from theatre. If you're not happy, you should not be moving the patient. Also, if you have an airway, it's an appropriate airway that recovery can take, such as an eye gel, if the patient's tolerating it and self-ventilating. Yeah, We talked about this the other day. I think your rule of if you're not comfortable with that, particularly if you don't have any supervision or another pair of airway trained hands, take out the eye gel in theatre yeah there's nothing worse than eye gel being ejected halfway down a corridor when your monitoring's falling off and then you arrive in recovery with a blue patient exactly not that... as ever happened to me because I'm very good no um, but
0: I I now as a, as a red feel comfortable going from a theatre to a recovery with an eye gel in because I know what my rescue techniques are and if you don't there is no harm in staying in a place of safety where everything's within reach you have a theatre team that are aware and can help you with tasks and ODP with an airway trolley at hand. Yeah. So if you are past the IAC and you're doing your own calls, maybe you take your gel out in theatre until you're happy. And yeah. you can discuss this with your consultant as per your progression because they can give you feedback. We've now arrived in recovery successfully, the patient's breathing. What do we do now? The key things are to make sure that oxygen is plugged back into a proper wall
1: source and it's working, then plug in your monitoring and do a quick ABCDE again to make sure nothing has changed whilst you've been transferring the patient. And by nothing changed as in the airway is still patent. If they have a supraglottic airway in, they should have entitled CO2 monitoring. Good Ventilation and oxygenation is still occurring and is good no hemodynamic instability, your lines haven't been tugged out because you're going to need IV access almost certainly to be able to give that patient medications in recovery, potentially on the ward later. Mm-hmm. And then also disability, has the patient's GCS dropped back? Are they still rousable? Because in being in a rousable state is, can be appropriate for recovery, but it's making sure there's no acute changes and they haven't become obtunded again. You yeah. had a recirculation of your anaesthetic with the last flush of the cannula.
0: The... Basics are oxygen goes on, monitoring gets re-established, A2E assessment, and then what do you do, Duncan?
1: And then, very importantly, it's the handover. But pre-handover, you need to check with the recovery nurse, are they happy for you to start handing over? Yeah. And introduce yourself.
0: So I think there's a good structure to use. That is using the patient's name, what their ASA status is, and what the surgery is as the situation. The background is their medical background and how well controlled those things are. Now, for your assessment, that's actually your anaesthetic, what you've done. And then what your recommendations are, what their continuing analgesia plan would be, what their rescue antiemetic plan would be, what they need in terms of fluids, whether or not they can have a full diet, and then what you're doing for VTE and any extras.
1: There's so many different types of surgery. And many of them will have specific requirements for the post-op care, both immediate in recovery and on the ward. And it's important to get those points across. For yeah. example, salient information, if you're doing an interventional radiology case where they've gone in through the femoral artery, they'll have a protocol of they must lay flat for a certain amount of time and then they can sit up. You That's know, a good one. If it's a significant hemorrhage case blood loss and, then and a taking blood tests yeah. exactly and then follow up blood tests whether that needs to be done in recovery or whether it needs to be done on the ward later the important thing to close that conversation and tie it up in a bow with the handover is that final question are you happy or yeah. do you have any questions
0: that's the patient's journey in recovery what about post-recovery should we be thinking about duncan
1: this is the longer term patient management, and that ultimately is going to be depending on the patient pathway. Are they a day case patient? Mm-hmm. Are they ultimately going to be going home? In which case, problems need to be sorted in recovery before they can go to the day surgery ward. The day surgery ward may be more limited in what they can provide the patient for. For example, analgesia and antiemesis. If the patient is going to a uh, ward to stay overnight or for a few days, you need to think about the long term analgesia plan both regular and rescue and whether that's appropriate for the patient for example if there's a patient who's had a laparotomy they've got a riles tube down to aid drainage and they're maybe going to have sips tomorrow prescribing a load of oral analgesia probably isn't going to be the best thing for them because it's not going to work yeah so you need to think about that to avoid kicking the can down the road and causing an issue later particularly for your on-call colleagues at night and also having crap experience for the patient.
0: You can't assume that the surgical team will do it because uh, let's say a surgical team's looking after four wards, they're not going to read the recovery note saying this patient needs IV fluids. I think it is best practice to say to the surgeon, are you going to prescribe it or I'm going to prescribe it? And the same goes for VT as well. If there's thromboprophylaxis in six hours that's needed and it's on the recovery note, don't assume on-call commitments will pick them up. We know people are short staffed. This may get missed, and you're adding to the Swiss cheese if you haven't clarified or got someone to own that task of VTE fluids, pain relief. Yeah, and the other thing I'd like to point out is, from personal experience, my uncle has Parkinson's. No one prescribes Parkinson's meds for two days, and then that meant he had to stay in hospital for a month. There's specific medications that I think as the anaesthetist, you are a periop physician, you should take accountability for either yourself or the surgeon doing Parkinson's, diabetes, heart meds and anticoagulation, there should be a plan that you've come up with with the surgeon because you think, oh, it shouldn't be my job or I'm not the right person to do it. Well, actually, that probably is going to end up being left to an F1 at midnight. Who might make the decision, review tomorrow. That then gets missed. And then you end yeah. up with someone who's had a post-op complication that could have been avoided.
1: Yeah, there needs to be an appropriate delegation. Just a quick summary of that post-recovery ward care for the patient. You need to think about the analgesia, the anti any antibiotics, any fluids that they need going to the ward. VTE prophylaxis and then any special medications the patient is already on that need to be continued and whether there needs to be a change of the route because of oral intake issues.
0: Part of improving I think and growing within anaesthesia is seeking out feedback and we've mentioned on the ODP episode that you can get feedback from your ODP and your recovery nurse but i also think you can get feedback from your patients so if the patient is in the next day and i've done a block i like to go and see them on the ward and speak to them but whilst you're setting out for general anesthetics i think that's also good we've we know that the obstetric association of anesthesia like us to follow up rule to follow up people who have had regional anesthetics and actually that's been some of the best feedback i've got for my improvement is from that so i'd recommend that to novices do try and follow up your patients in recovery or if they're in the next day just to see how they're doing if you have time and then that can allow you to grow and add to your anaesthetic recipe book. Bleep bleep, bleep bleep. Hi, it's uh, recovery. I've got a patient. You have bleep by
1: recovery for a multitude of reasons. We want to give you a little bit of advice and problem-solving way of going about this as a novice. So the key things to establish are Where are they calling from? Sometimes you may have multiple recoveries in your hospital, so it's a very important thing to establish. Who's calling? Is it actually a recovery nurse or is it someone they've asked to go and call you because they are busy doing something for the patient, which is a bit of a red flag? Who's the patient? What operation have they had? What is the issue? And ideally, then we want to go into our SBAR format. Key question, do you need me to come review the patient now? What are your recommendations? What can I do in the meantime?
0: It's important to work out how you can help and if you need to go there as soon as possible.
1: You may not be able to come immediately, but you can at least formulate a management plan or escalate that you need someone to go see a patient or relieve you so you can go see them. Okay, so Erwin, we talked about how to deal with a recovery bleep, but in your experience, what are your top three
0: causes for recovery to bleep you? Well, I think number one will be pain. Mm-hmm. Number two will be hypotension. And then number three probably is that the patient's sick.
1: Okay, let's go through a little pretend scenario.
0: Bleep, 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 bleep. I have got a 40-year-old. He's had a knee arthroscopy and his pain is 10 out of 10. And you've been called to recovery to assess him. You've done your S-bar over the phone. You've asked what he's had and if there's any PRNs that you could give by the time you're coming, what else would form your assessment and treatment of this patient recovery?
1: Pain calls. it's good to keep a broad perspective. You do need to ultimately go see a patient in pain if it's persisting, particularly if the recovery nurse has flagged that they've already given the rescue therapy that's been prescribed, because what you want to do is flag up whether this is post-surgical pain. Mm -hmm. This is a surgical complication which is presenting as pain. Or whether this is a post-anesthetic or pathological complication such as an MI which has been caused by the anesthetic or the events surrounding the anesthetic. You need to try and figure out which slot this goes into. Sometimes there can be a bit of crossover but it's important that these things are escalated quickly because as I said, an anesthetic complication can quite quickly deteriorate in seconds to minutes. A post-surgical complication may need to go back to theatre swiftly. yeah. And the surgical needs to be made aware of that. So once we've got that thinking framework, then it's important to go to the patient, look at the patient as well as the vital signs. We get very focused on vital signs and numbers. Ultimately, snapshot numbers can be misleading. Looking at the patient as well. Are they writhing in pain? Are they rigid in pain? Then doing an A to E assessment with a particular consideration for is there a complication at the surgical site or because of the the surgery itself. That would be my approach to a pain call broadly but then within the specifics of that you then need to as well as assessing the patient discuss with the recovery nurse about the history and look at the anaesthetic chart, the procedure they've had, what they've been given so far for pain and then make a calculated plan about where to go from there. Do they just need a little bit more analgesia? Does the anaesthetist who has done the operation need to know this patient is in a significant amount of pain, so that they, particularly if there's any nuances to their care, so they can come and review potentially, and maybe they will be able to solve the problem?
0: The salient points here: pain needs to be reviewed. Do use what's on the PRN chart. Don't be misled that it could just be one cause. Try and rule out the other ones in A to E format. Look at all information sources, including that anaesthetic chart that will give you good background. And then think about the benefits and risks. Are you giving a bit too much morphine for someone in renal failure who's old? Should you be switching to something else? Lastly, if you've given 10 milligrams of morphine and that patient is still screaming, you really need to think, do I need that surgical review?
1: Also, you need to think about how you're going to control that patient's pain after recovery. So if you're yeah. not on top of your their pain in recovery, sending them to the ward with PRNs they can ask for every few hours and nothing regular isn't going to cut it. You need to think about your patient's experience, what the nursing staff on the ward can do and provide, and then also trying to avoid a bleep in the middle of the night to one of your on-call colleagues to try and now sort out this pain which is risen to such a high peak that they need to get a lot of intravenous opiates to get on top of.
0: If someone needs a PCA, you should be able to spot that when they go into recovery. Absolutely. This pain call, are you
1: dealing with post-surgical pain, which is to be expected? Are you dealing with a a surgical complication, or are you dealing with an anaesthetic and pathological complication? And it's very important to try and differentiate those. And if you're giving medication for post-surgical pain, and what you think is post-surgical pain but they're still in severe pain, it's good to get a surgical review. You can end up giving a lot of painkillers to mask a surgical complication or a pathological anaesthetic complication. And the last thing you wanna do is obtund a patient who's then already having something bad going on. Always think if in your mind or your gut is going, something's not quite right here, get the surgical team to get involved as well.
0: And as I've gone on with my anaesthetic training, that threshold for calling them has got lower because actually I've realized if this person has had 20 of morphine and they're still in pain, why is this? this? should have created this? Is this a developing thing underneath? The surgical teams like to know about it sooner rather than later because if we send them back to the ward, it's much harder to A get them back into theaters and B get them into a safe monitored environment. They're in the place of safety and recovery, and they'd rather see their patients in recovery.
1: The real example that really sticks in my head is um, I was working with a colleague and she it was called to see a patient who was post esophajectctomy and they'd already had 10 of morphine. Describing post-surgical pain you would get, then she gave then 5 milligrams kind of up front to try and get on top. They were still in pain, and as that second 5 was going in that she was giving, she called the surgeon and was like, no, this is not normal post-surgical pain. This is requiring a lot for a slightly small person. And then the surgeons arrived, and as they arrived, patients started having hematemesis Quite quickly, you needed to go back to theatre Luckily, it was spotted very early and everything worked out fine. But it's one of those things of if it's a, a gutting stink. Got a rant about gutting the stink, by the way. I'll say that for another episode.
0: Bleep, 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 bleep.
1: Owen, oh, you've just got a phone call from Recovery. A uh, young gentleman who's had uh, tympanoplasty done, middle ear surgery. Risk factor
0: he- for nausea and vomiting already. Oh, okay. oh, yeah. you're already. oh, you've tweaked. I'm skipping, I'm so, skipping. Yeah,
1: so he's vomiting in recovery. Oh no. They've asked you to come and assess. So what would your overall salient points and summary of how you'd approach this be?
0: Again, bar including a recommendation before a leave of things I want to do. So if he's hypotensive and vomiting, please give a fluid bolus, if applicable, and consider giving extra anti-sickness if it's prescribed before I arrive to see him. Two, is it safe for me to leave what I'm doing at the moment, or do I need to call another colleague, or where does it sit on my priority list, for example? Then on arrival, I will go straight to that patient, that nurse, hear another S-bar handover, and then do an A to E of that patient. Key things I'm looking for is if they're vomiting but they're slightly obtunded. is their airway safe for example likely this won't be the case for this one but it's something you need to consider and then making sure that their other vitals are fine and then i go on to what is the anesthetic he's had and what's the surgery he's had have we optimized what his anti is so if he's had for example a danzotron dex can i give another dose of a danzotron should i add in another agent such as cyclosine? Or another thing, such as Stematil, or some units have Trapelodol, but I've never seen that in practice. And then the other things that are associated with nausea and vomiting. Is this guy safe to leave recovery? No, I would give my assessment of when I'd be happy to leave recovery, which would be likely tolerating sips of water. Two, is he going to be developing any surgical complications? Is this a sign, for example, that there's a bleed that's going on? Something just to think about. Do I need to get surgeon to review? Three, if he's unable to take oral intake, is he, for example, diabetic? Or is there another medication that he needs to get in orally? Or do I need to convert that to a route? Now, that is thinking far down the line, because likely this post-op nausea and vomiting will be solved. But thinking about medications and fluids will help that patient's journey. If, for example, you've got someone with Parkinson's who's vomiting in recovery, you've got to think about what your backup plan would be along with a handover to the team looking after him. Absolutely. And okay. then that also brings into pain. If he's just prescribed codeine and morphine. and he's vomiting, that's not going to control his pain. It's pretty simple. So it's not just having knee-jerk reaction and going, right, more Danzatron, is thinking about it as in terms of the wider concept. And there will be more things that your consultants may want you to do, but if you go there with the broad brushstrokes of doing an a to E assessment and thinking about the wide context, then the patients whose journeys you're involved with will be better. Bleep, 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 bleep. I've got one for you. Oh, yeah? Okay. I've got a lap coli. She's 50 years young and she had it this afternoon. They're calling you. Her heart rate's 110 and her blood pressure is 70 to 80 systolic.
1: First things first is if it's been steady like this for a while or whether this is an acute deterioration, do they need to put out an emergency call to get people there quickly? Doing the basics quickly, checking if they've got IV access, can they give a fluid bolus if it's appropriate? and then going to see the patient. It's 2 plus 2 equals 4 until it's not a situation of, they've had intra-abdominal surgery, the hypotensive tachycardic, could this be a bleed? So yeah. again, stepping back and thinking, is this expected post-surgically? Is this a surgical complication? Is this an anaesthetic complication? Hypotension and tachycardia post-surgically, you wouldn't normally really expect. Thinking more surgical complication, anaesthetic complication, and then you need to escalate appropriately. So get the surgeons involved quickly. Is this patient going to need to come back to theatre? What can you do to resuscitate them whilst you're assessing and checking the anaesthetic chart, making sure that you've got enough pairs of hands and senior help?
0: Yeah, agreed. We need to think about that surgical complication. because could also be an anaesthetic complication. This patient's been underfilled and dry all day. You're starting to get, if you look at your shock responses, we're starting to get up there on the shock levels. So we need to think about, do we all ask for a fluid bolus by the time we've arrived? Do we ask for the patient to be put in the Trendelenburg position, which can help give fluid bolus from the legs to the head? And then do we need to think about other things? So you can have different causes of shock, including hypovolemic or cardiac shock. So could this be an example of the patient having a heart attack? Could this be an example of the patient having a hemorrhage post-surgery? Further investigations you can do for that include an ECG and VBG. And you need to have a low threshold for saying to the surgeon, Look, I'm sorry, I'm calling from recovery, but I think this patient could potentially be having a post-op bleed. Can you come and review? And I've had that exact scenario as a CT2 and they went back for a laparotomy and the patient survived because of that pattern of thinking. Lastly, do they have blood cross-matched? And if they don't, send it. And if you've resuscitated with fluids, then you need to be calling for expert help. But do you need to start thinking about blood products? Hello from the edit room and I hope you've enjoyed that episode as much as Duncan and I enjoyed making it. A thank you to my colleagues who appeared in the beginning intro. The resources that we've listed are good e-learning for healthcare modules. A couple of comments on some of the contents. If you're transferring someone 5 metres, it's the same as transferring someone 5 miles. So make sure you've got enough oxygen, you've got your monitoring on, and that you have the equipment that you need. Do call for help if there is an A, B or C problem. If you are having a deteriorating patient in front of you, you're not expected to manage that by yourself. Do escalate to your senior reg or to your consultants. Obviously that will change over time and the situations I'm referring to are different, but do feel empowered to call for a second pair of hands. Our next episode will be emergencies, so I will look forward to metaphorically seeing you there. Bye for now.